we conclude our summarizing of various objections to the truthfulness and accuracy of the Bible that have been discussed in connection with the question, what do we know about the truthfulness of God from the Bible? In discussing various objections, we have come to the following propositions. First, the Bible presentation of the moral nature and actions of God is free from inconsistencies when accepted in simplicity. Second, if it be accepted that God changed his mind in view of certain developments, as the Bible plainly affirms, objections from these situations are eliminated. Thirdly, when human physical characteristics are ascribed to God, we are to understand them as figurative, using our common sense. Fourth, it is man's reaction to the moral light forcefully presented to him by God that determines his salvation and destiny, not any determined predestination on the part of God. Fifth, sin is a free choice of the pathway of disobedience, not some fixity within us causing us to act in a certain direction. Sixth, man is able of his own volition to repent or turn from his sins and be saved, or God would not have commanded him to do so. Seventh, salvation is not all of God, but is a cooperative enterprise between God and man. The Holy Spirit enlightens and persuades. The servants of God pray and exert a similar persuasive influence. The sinner reacts by repenting of all sin and exercising faith in Christ. The Word of God is an instrument used by all three. God cannot save all men, therefore, even though this is His will. Eighthly, the New Testament does not theorize on the nature of the blessed atonement of Christ, and we should refrain from unwarranted deductions. The simple gospel is to be heralded everywhere with great thanksgiving, as follows. In view of the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ for the sins of the whole world of men, without limit or partiality, God is able to exercise His great mercy in the free forgiveness of past sins to all who will repent in sincerity of heart and exercise a committal of faith to the death of Christ as his only hope of pardon. The atoning death of Christ enables God to pardon repentant sinners freely by his grace, consistent with his righteous obligations toward all, apart from which method forgiveness could, would be impossible, no matter how much God the Father would desire to forgive men. Ninthly, the way of salvation presented in the Bible in the most obvious interpretation of language is that of the forgiveness of sins. No clear explanation is given of any system of literal imputation, which would have many complications. We are therefore not required to depart from that simplicity which everyone understands. Tenthly, the extent of forgiveness is defined by our Lord Jesus to involve the remission of sins, and by the Apostle Paul in one of his later epistles, the
the forgiveness of sins. There are no indications whatever that something mystical is intended. Therefore, we can only assume that God was speaking our language and promises the forgiveness of all our past sins on conditions of repentance and faith. As the Lord Jesus said, we are to sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee, as in John 5.14. In the eleventh place, various so-called mistakes and contradictions that objectors have thought they have discovered in the Bible record have been nullified or reduced to minor proportions when reasonable principles of interpretation have been implied. In the twelfth place, others have found fault with the Bible on moral grounds. They say that the Bible contains too many frank descriptions of sin to be the uplifting moral force that it should be. Also that many cruelties took place, evidently considered to be sanctioned by God, which are contrary to our sense of justice. As to the mention of many grave sins and indulgences that men have fallen into, it has been affirmed that this is rather an evidence of true inspiration by God from several reasons. The Bible aims to persuade men to turn from sin and to be reconciled to God. This requires an acknowledgment of sin, which requires that sins be pointed out as they really are. Then history, to be truthful, must include sin along with virtue. One of the great evidences of inspiration is that the sins of even God's faithful servants and the longer periods of the nation's Israel's disobedience are recorded in detail. What uninspired historian would give victories and defeats in their proper proportions? If various dispensations of judgment and cruelties recorded in the Old Testament are viewed without careful considerations as to the revealed reasons for them, a hard case can be made out against the Bible. But if we understand that God sends no judgment upon anyone arbitrarily and search out the Bible text for the declared reasons for various strict measures of judgment, we will find ourselves in sympathy with God and wonder how His patience could have held out as long as it did. How astonishing that God delayed the flood for 120 years when he was so utterly disappointed over man, as is recorded in Genesis chapter 6, 5 to 7. No doubt if men had listened to the warnings of Noah and sincerely repented, the flood would have been abandoned. The cruel treatment that the peoples of Palestine were to receive at the conquering hand of the Israelites was because of their extreme moral and religious defilement. Archaeologists have testified that their findings on the Canaanites point them out as the most abandoned and violent of all peoples. In the light of this, Joshua and the Jewish nation were the agents of God in executing His righteous judgment for sin. The whole picture changes in view of these revelations and findings. But another matter 
that is of vital importance to the justification of God and the Bible in these severe measures of judgment is the true concept of the nature of sin. If sin is an unfortunate thing being perpetuated from generation to generation out of mere weakness, then of course God ought to sympathize with it rather than punish those who have been its unfortunate victims. Such strict measures of judgment as the Bible records are out of place and uncalled for. But if sin is strictly voluntary and involves an intensity of will to overcome moral light shining from various sources, then who can measure the guilt of sin? When we consider the Bible revelation as to how badly God feels about man's sin and measure his grief by the profound greatness of deity, then we can form some concept as to how guilty sinners are, and particularly abandoned sinners. Who can say that the judge of all the earth has not done right in view of these solemn things? Who can say that the Bible record pictures injustices? Thus we finally conclude this whole wonderful study of objections that have been raised against the Bible. After many years of patient study of the Bible and the consideration of evidences at hand, we are overwhelmingly convinced that the Bible is, in truth, the Word of God and presents an accurate and comprehensive record of the history of the world as relating to redemption and reveals to us those profound facts concerning the activities of the persons of the Godhead to salvage the human family from the ravages of sin. The Bible is what its writers said it was, that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, as we read in 2 Peter 1.21. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The great apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3.16. Along with the vindication of the Bible is the establishment of the truthfulness of God as the divine author of the Bible. The manifested God told Moses that he was abundant in goodness and truth. The Bible most frequently declares God's truthfulness, which is the foundation of all our confidence. The Bible affirms that persons of the Godhead are the source of all truth. All of God's works and dealings with men are said to be in truth. The Bible is the treasured incorporation of this truth and inspires our serene confidence. Our sincere prayer can only be that all listeners may feel a new impulse toward the truth of the Bible and may do as the Thessalonians did when they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God 
and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. As we read in Paul's first epistle to Thessalonians, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, Thus we are overwhelmingly happy that God has left to us this treasured possession of truth, and that it reveals to us the profound nature of God as it does. What a refuge in our times of trouble. What an anchor to our intellects as they swing a course through this sea of time. How we thank God above all for the precious Word of God which reveals to us His own heart and the provision of salvation through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we pray. Our Heavenly Father, with profound thanksgiving, we thank Thee for Thy precious Word which has come down to us through the centuries and reveals to us a gospel that we know by experience to be living and true and real. And now we pray that many may respond to the presentation of Thy truth, may repent of sin, and through faith in the Lord Jesus as the only possibility of pardon, be reconciled to Thee and live happily with Thee now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.